and welcome to Tax Chats. My name is Brittany Rowe. And my name is Alex Williams. Today we will be discussing the recent 2020 payroll tax holiday executive order. That's right. We hope that after our podcast, you'll have more knowledge on what a payroll tax holiday is and how this recent executive order will affect the current tax situation. So Brittany, could you please give us a brief overview of what the recent payroll tax holiday executive order is? Of course. So President Trump signed an executive order on August 8th in which the intent is to defer payroll tax obligation. Before I get into a description of the order itself, I wanted to point out that the president technically is not using his authority to defer the payroll tax obligation. He's using the executive order to direct the Secretary of the Treasury, Steven Mnuchin, to use his authority under IRC Section 7508A to postpone certain tax deadlines in response to a presidentially declared disaster. I see. So really the IRC gives the Secretary of the Treasury the right to declare this deferral, and it requires us to have a presidentially declared disaster, which we're currently in, right? Yes, as of March 13, 2020, the president determined the COVID-19 pandemic to be a severe enough cause to enact an emergency declaration under Section 501B of the Robert T. Stafford Disaster Relief and Emergency Assistance Act. Interesting. So you mentioned the order is to create a payroll tax holiday. What is that? Right. So the order is basically giving employers the option to defer the employee portion of Social Security payroll tax, which is 6.2%. Now, notice that I said only the employee portion of Social Security payroll tax, not the employer portion or Medicare. Also, for those who owe taxes as a self-employee, as of now, additional guidance will be required to be able to apply this deferral to self-employment taxes. Okay, so the only payroll tax deferred by this order are employee portions of Social Security. Is this deferral eligible for all employees or is there a restriction? Great question. So the employers may defer the employee portion of Social Security payroll taxes for employees whose wages are less than $4,000 for a biweekly period. Another thing to keep in mind is that this deferral only applies for wages paid, not earned, from September 1st, 2020 to December 31st, 2020. So only certain employees can take this deferral over the time period from September to December of this year. Now, the fact that you keep mentioning it as a deferral does not signify that these, does signify that these taxes will eventually have to be paid back, correct? That's right. So the deferred taxes will be due in the period between January 1st, 2021 to April 30th, 2021, with interest, penalties, and additional taxes to begin to accrue on May 1st, 2021. These deferred taxes will not be returned as a lump sum, however. The employers have the ability over the first four months of 2021 to withhold in installments and remit on a prorated basis the taxes that were deferred during the last four months of 2020. So that seems to cover what's in the executive order. It does, but understanding what is contained in the executive order is only step one of understanding how this is going to affect American taxpayers. Has the IRS or Treasury issued any related guidance? In fact, they have. On August 28th of 2020, the Department of Treasury and the Internal Revenue Service issued IRS Notice 2020-65 regarding the relief with respect to employment tax deadlines applicable to employers affected by the ongoing coronavirus disease 2019 pandemic. Okay, that's a relief. Guidance from the IRS will allow employees and employers to understand how this order applies to their situation. What are the implications for employees under this notice? First, let's talk about how applicable wages are defined. As you told me earlier, September 1st to December 31st of 2020 is the applicable period for this executive order. The IRS notice tells us that the deferral applies to wages paid on a pay date in this period, not wages earned during this period. If an employee's last check of the year is on December 20th and their next check is until January 20th, 
20th, they would not qualify for the deferral on that January 20th check, even though part of it relates to services performed during the period contained within the order. Interesting. What about the threshold amount? The deferral applies if the compensation is less than 4000 calculated on a pre-tax basis or the equivalent amount with respect to other pay periods. What if an employee makes $3,500 on one biweekly check and $4,500 on the next? The notice tells us that the threshold determination is made on a period-by-period -period basis. So in your example, the $3,500 check would qualify for the deferral and the $4,500 would not. This adds a level of complication, extra work, as we can't simply use annual income thresholds as most of their tax laws are set up. Each pay period has to be evaluated against this $4,000 threshold. That would definitely add extra work that may not be easy for all taxpayers to do. Is it required to participate in the deferral? Not at all. So IRC section 7508A states that the secretary may specify a period of up to one year that may be disregarded in determining whether the laws were performed within the time prescribed. The treasury has the authority to allow taxpayers to disregard a deadline, but it can't require them to do so. Additionally, the notice specifies that employers, not employees, are the affected taxpayers. So it's up to employers, not employees, to decide whether or not they want to participate in this deferral. Okay, now we know how applicable wages are determined and that participation is optional. What happens once the deferral period ends on January 1st, 2021? If an employer decides to participate in the deferral, the employer must withhold and pay the taxes ratably from wages paid from January 1st to April 30th of 2021. This is important because it means employers can't just issue a bonus in January and accelerate the collection. The ratable withholding will mean employees are taking both the current withholding from their checks and making up for the past deferral. And as an employee, this does not sound appealing to me. Well, what if an employee quits their job on December 31st or March 1st? How is the employer expected to make up for the deferred amounts not yet recovered? Currently, there's no guidance on this. Generally, the employer is joint and severally liable for the employee's taxes and subject to penalty if this isn't paid. If the employer is unable to recover from the employee, they're expected to pay the deferred amounts themselves. If the employer does ultimately pay the employee's tax, the employer must report additional income and wages to the employee equal to the tax paid on that employee's behalf. Okay, so tell me if I'm understanding this correctly so far. Employees have no choice in whether or not to opt into the deferral. Employers have a choice on whether or not to participate and will ultimately be responsible for any shortcomings related to subsequent collection from employees. Correct. This seems like a bad deal for the employers. Does the tax treatment depend on any future events or is this as cut or is this a cut and dry issue? Great question. So there are really four ways this could play out. As you recall, the presidential memorandum further directed the Treasury to explore avenues, including legislation, to eliminate the obligation to pay the deferred tax. The president doesn't have this power and was limited to the deferral contained within the order. Huh, so tell me about the four possible scenarios. First, let's assume the employer stops withholding the tax and takes advantage of the deferral. This could then go one of two ways depending on subsequent legislation. If the employer stops withholding and the employee's tax is later forgiven via legislation, this is the best case scenario for all involved parties. The employees will be getting access to the additional funds and neither party will ultimately be liable for the tax. So that seems like a win-win. Exactly. But that is banking on Congress taking unified action, which they definitely don't seem too keen on at the moment. If future legislation does not pass for giving the tax, the least favorable outcome happens for both parties. 
As stated previously, ultimate responsibility comes down to the employer. The employer will have to rapidly withhold the amount to make up for the deferred tax, leading to a smaller paycheck for the employees in the makeup period, or pay it themselves if they no longer have the ability to withhold it from the responsible employee. That's definitely not a good outcome. Future legislation will play a big part in the outcome, it seems. Absolutely. So we talked about what happens if the employer does take advantage of the deferral. If the employer chooses not to participate, both parties are in pretty good shape regardless of future events. If the tax is later forgiven by legislation, the employees will likely be able to claim a refund for overpayment or the legislation could provide other methods of receiving the benefit to achieve a similar result. There is the possibility of missing out on the benefit if legislation specifically specifically targets only that amount which was not held as being forgiven. Could the employee say that their employer denied them a benefit? Potentially, although since ultimately the choice is up to the employer, there's little room for recourse in that specific case. It's also entirely possible that there will be no future legislation. If the employer chooses not to participate, and there's no future legislation, both the parties remain in their normal position. No adverse tax consequences or risk would fall on either party. That does seem like the safer option. As of now, yes. The implications for both parties are highly dependent on future events. So, Brittany, you've done more reading on this subject. Tell me, is there any pending legislation related to this executive order? There is, in fact, a lot of political uncertainty around not only the next steps to take after the executive order, but also whether or not the executive order may be challenged by Congress. This payroll holiday executive order was actually one of four announced by President Trump on August 8th in response to Congress continuing debates about the budget for the next stimulus package. According to the Government Accountability Office, or GAO, Congress could actually overturn the payroll tax holiday executive order. Wow, that would be a dramatic turn of events. How likely is it that Congress will overturn the executive order? GAO has explained to Congress that the payroll tax holiday order falls under the Congressional Review Act, so the Senate could vote to overturn the order if 30 senators sign to request a vote. However, with the Republican majority in the Senate, it would be difficult to drum up enough support to force a vote. Also, even if the support was gathered, the president would still be likely to veto the vote, so it does not seem likely that Congress will overturn the order. I see, but does Congress have any say into what will happen after the order's effective date ends on December 31st of this year? Yes, according to the president, if he wins the upcoming election, he plans to forgive the payroll taxes deferred by this executive order and to make even further permanent cuts to the payroll tax. However, it is actually up to Congress ultimately to decide whether or not to permanently forgive the deferred payroll taxes. Interesting. So it seems we'll have to keep an eye out for further news on the future of this executive order and the taxes that are deferred by it. That's a good point. So in order to gain a broader understanding of this tax holiday, have there been any other instances of payroll tax holidays in history? Yes, there are two instances of payroll tax holidays in recent history. The first was back in 1977 during the Carter administration. The second, more recent example occurred during the Obama administration. Were they the same as what we have now, or are there differences between those instances and the current executive order? So glad you asked. It's helpful to think about how this is similar and different to payroll tax holidays in order to forecast potential economic out impacts. None of the three payroll tax holidays have been identical. So tell me about the 1977. Absolutely. Since this is before my time, I'll be relying on a recounting published in 1980 written by Emil Sunley, the Deputy Assistant Secretary for Tax Analysis at the Department of the Treasury under Jimmy Carter's administration. What a mouthful. <laughs> Originally, Jimmy Carter proposed an optional income tax credit of 4% of Social Security taxes paid by employers. 
I'm going to guess that the original proposal is not what happened. Correct. The goal was to incentivize employers to hire by reducing their associated tax liability as there was a bit of an economic downturn going on and job creation was critical. Generally, this is what fueled all payroll tax holidays we're discussing an economic downturn. That makes sense. Congress did not agree with President Carter's idea. Instead, they wanted to focus on incentivizing new employment. Congress wanted the credit to be incremental, to help the handicapped, and to avoid favorable treatment for new firms. Congress did what it often does and highly complicated the simple proposal. As written in the Tax Reduction and Simplification Act of 1977, the tax credit offered 50% of the first 4,200 in wages per employer, employee for increases in employment of at least 2% over the previous year. Instead of the payroll tax credit proposed by the president, this was enacted as a form of wage subsidy. Was it considered effective? Far from it. It was considered overly complicated and poorly executed. Congress's initial goal in not targeting new firms completely fell. The credit favored new, fast-growing firms. Many businesses who were struggling were unable to take advantage of it due to the requirement that employment be growing in order to get the credit. It was allowed to expire by the end of 1978 and was replaced by other measures. So that one was definitely a flop. How did the Obama administration, administration institute a payroll tax holiday? In 2009 and 10, the Making Work Pay tax credit provided a 6.2% credit on earnings for a maximum of $800 from married filing joint taxpayers. This credit began to phase out for income above $150,000 and completely phased out at $190,000. For single taxpayers, all the thresholds and maximum credits are half of the married filing joint. That sounds like a much better deal. Was that a refundable credit? It was. So what happened to it after 2010? In 2010, the Making Work Pay tax credit was replaced. The Tax Relief, Unemployment Insurance, Reauthorization, and Job Creation Act of 2010 replaced this cut with a two percentage point reduction on the employee's portion of the FACA tax for the year 2011. This cut was extended through 2012 through the Middle Class Tax Relief and Job Creation Act of 2012. Essentially, this meant employers were at a four, employees were at a four point 2% rate instead of 6.2%. That sounds good for the employees. Was it considered successful? For the most part, yes. However, as a means of economic stimulus, evidence suggests that most households saved rather than spent this extra amount on their paycheck, so it wasn't as helpful in the restoring the economy as predicted. I remember hearing something about the Hire Act relating to payroll taxes during this same time period. Did that change payroll taxes too? Yes. On top of the cut to the employee portion of the FICA tax, employers were benefited through the Hire Act. This act forgave the employer's portion of the Social Security portion of payroll taxes for certain unemployed individuals the employer hires. We don't need to get too deep in the specifics, but this forgiveness was only for new hires and couldn't be used on existing employees. It also specified that it couldn't be used if, if an employer hired a new employee to replace another unless the previous employee left voluntarily or with cause. So basically, they weren't allowed to manipulate this tax credit by firing one employee and rehiring another for no purpose other than the tax benefit. Correct. That makes sense when we think about how the IRS's general focus on substance of transactions rather than form. Employers were also restricted that the Hire Act couldn't be used on the hiring of relatives. 
that makes sense based on how we know the IRS thinks of related parties and their transactions. So does history suggest that payroll tax holidays boost the economy as intended? There are many mixed opinions. Many economists believe that reductions to the employer side have larger economic impacts as households are more often to save the income during an economic downturn. The economists supporting this position argue that the payroll tax holidays prevent cascading business failures by providing additional liquidity to these companies. Payroll tax cuts on the employer side are viewed more favorably by economists. What is the case against the payroll tax holidays for employees? The most common argument is that reductions in payroll taxes don't target those most vulnerable to economic disruption. Retirees not in the labor force receive no benefit. Hourly and low-income workers are more likely to experience job loss, thus no benefit. A payroll tax cut only directly helps those who are working. Additionally, many would argue that payroll tax holidays weaken the relationship between Social Security benefits and payroll tax revenues. This could have the unintended side effect of undermining the foundation of Social Security and encourage lawmakers to divert this revenue to other purposes in the future. I can see how that would happen. They are costly cuts to the Social Security program when implemented. Exactly. Now that we understand what's contained in the payroll tax holiday, the subsequent IRS notice, and how it compares to historical examples, can you tell me how it's being received by the public? I'm not sure everyone dives deep into the details like we have. No, I'm sure they don't. One really interesting fact is that in rebuke to the current administration, the U.S. House of Representatives has declined to roll out the tax holiday to its employees. However, many federal government employees, such as enlisted service members, will notice a difference in their paychecks. So it seems within the government there are mixed reviews on the order. How about in the business world? There seems to be some pushback from industry leaders, including many large businesses such as Costco and J.P. Morgan Chase, declining to implement the payroll holiday. Also, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and more than 30 business groups signed a letter recently expressing frustration at the vague guidance of the payroll deferral and urge for the forgiving of the payroll taxes to not force a larger tax bill on their employees in 2021 just to defer taxes in 2020. These businesses feel that it is not their place to make this decision for their employees. I can see why the employers seem frustrated. How has the general public seemed to react to the order? Again, there seems to be some dissenting opinions. While some may welcome the deferral and hope for permanent forgiveness from these taxes, it is still in the hands of the employers for whether or not employees will see these benefits. Another major problem with this deferral acting as a stimulus is that it only helps those who are currently working. We have seen a major increase in unemployment due to the current crisis, and these people who need the economic help will be unaffected by this order, as well as those citizens who are already retired. Yeah, it seems this order did not take into consideration those who are not employed. So who does seem to benefit from the payroll holiday? Studies have shown that the payroll tax deferral would benefit taxpayers in the 20th to 90th percentiles the most. Also, as former House Representative Tax Counsel George Callis argues, the distributional effect on the top 1% is likely lower than estimated, as most taxpayers in this group have hit the Social Security wage cap of $137,700 for 2020. They will therefore accrue no benefit from a reduction in the employee Social Security portion of payroll tax for the rest of the year. Another item we should probably talk about is the payroll tax holiday's effect on Social Security. Could you briefly talk about that? Of course. So many Democratic leaders have attacked the executive order for undermining Social Security, 
by cutting off a key funding source. The Treasury Security did state that general funds would transfer over to cover the revenues lost for entitlement programs, but experts say there would still be a slight hit to Social Security even if the payroll tax payments don't end up getting excused. Through this payroll holiday, companies are receiving what can be compared to as an interest-free loan from the government, which therefore means that Social Security program is losing that interest income. Beyond all of the questions regarding the future of the order and the effects long-term, what seems to be the overarching thoughts in regards to this order? The big question is whether or not the employers will actually choose to pass on to workers what they would otherwise withhold in payroll taxes. This raises questions about how much economic impact the executive action actually carries. Pete Eisberg of the major payroll processing company ADP seems a little suspicious of the order, stating that it is far easier to tweak withholding for income taxes, which are changed pretty frequently. Payroll taxes, on the other hand, tend to be set and then left alone. So it causes a lot of trouble to change the withholding for payroll in the middle of the year. So overall, it seems that we will have to see if all of the difficulties and uncertainty caused by this order will be worth the benefit. Well, I think on that note, that covers what we wanted to share today about the 2020 payroll tax holiday executive order. Yes, we would like to take the time to thank you guys for listening in today, and we hope that you leave the podcast feeling a little more informed on payroll holidays and the recent executive order. Yes, thank you so much for your time, and we hope you have a great rest of your day.